Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 How's that? And welcome to this episode of Shoplifting. Uh, I am Liv Siddle and I'm joined here today by Bricksmith Star. Hello. Hello, Liv. And you have your two lovely little dogs with you. Yeah, I've got my two pugs, Gladys and Pixie, which she's, uh, Gladys is on my lap. So if you hear heavy breathing and snorting, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, very, very sweet, aren't they? How old are they? Uh, they're mother and daughter. Pixie's 11 and Gladys is nine. Pixie was a child bride. Very sweet. So yeah. yes, if you do hear any growling or whatever, that's not coming from us, I promise. No. <laughs> um, and you're here today, I suppose, well, you're in London on one of the hottest days we've had so far. And I suppose you're probably doing some promo for your new single and your new album, which is coming out in September, uh, Bricks and the Extricated. Can you tell us a little bit about the album coming out? Uh, yeah, the album is called Bricks and the Extricated Part 2. Um, we really struggled with a title for the album because it's just so, uh, it's just so hard to come with come up with it. So one day I was at Alan McGee's house and I said, he's really smart with these kinds of things. And I said, you know, oh my God, what should we call the extricated? And he just looked at me and goes, part two. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that makes perfect sense. So um, for people that don't know, the extricated um, is a band uh, made up of some of the greatest people that were in the fall with me and someone else. So I've got the Hanley brothers, Steve Hanley on bass, Paul Hanley on drums, an amazing rhythm section. Uh, Steve Trafford on guitar, uh, who was in the fall during the Heads Will Roll days. Fantastic. And then Jason Brown, also on guitars. He's from Derry in Ireland. He's part of like that Petrol Emotion crowd. He's it's amazing. It's almost kind of like a super group now, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun, I have to tell you. So how was it to record it? Where did you record the album? Uh, we recorded it at Blueprint Studios in Manchester because everyone lives in Manchester. And that's Guy Garvey's studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also where we sometimes rehearse. The record it's, it's produced by John Reynolds, you know, from Sinead O'Connor, Jaw Wobble, Brian Eno, all that. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, can you hear that breathing? It is and so yeah. not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting really hot talking about the album. Okay. So, no, not okay. But anyway, uh, yeah, the recording was actually extraordinary because we booked in, you know, we're we're primarily a live band. I mean, that's where we like really cut our teeth. You know, we yeah. we're a good live. So we, I we had like, um, in my mind, Iggy Pop, like raw power, like the Stooges' raw power, was the template for this kind of sound that we wanted to get. So we wanted to record as much as possible live, so you captured that energy. Yeah, that's so. It's it's just an amazing energy that cuts through tracks. So we we all, we set up to do it live, and and John and the engineer Tim decided we were going to do a process called reamping, which means you basically take, you play live in the room together, but, uh, and you have a bit of an ambient microphone picking up a bit of room noise, but you have lines that go out of your amp and straight into the desk. So you can then have a very clean signals when you go to mix and it, there's not too much overspill if you don't Got want it. it. So, um, we, it took about half a day. We, we booked in for six days. We're like, yeah, yeah, we can get it done. It took half a day to set up the amps and get everything going. And we went in and then we just went, bam, 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 bam. And in one day, we recorded six songs. You're joking. Nope. And the next day, we came back and recorded the four more. It was done in two days. No way. Yeah, it has very minimal overdubs. Even my vocals were done by the end of the process. Wow. You know, very, very little overdubbing. So 
all of us, our heads blew off our necks. We were like, whoa. And even the producers, their jaws were hanging. They were, we've never seen anything like this. So it was very, very special recording. Well, I suppose you're all so professional. Going into record, it's not something, it's not new for you. It's not like a kind of young new band who are like not really sure how to be in the recording studio. You've done it so much. And you've all been there. So I guess that probably adds to it. And it's, yeah, probably has a kind of professional sound, even though you want that rawness to it as well. It, it does. It's, it's really, it's straddling both. And of course, you know, I mean, I've played with the Hanley Brothers since I was 19 years old, yeah. on and off for years. So when, when you, you know, when you're musicians together and you're on the road and you're making music every night, there is an intuitiveness that comes between you, that's, you know, an unspoken, almost psychic connection yeah. of understanding uh, uh, and feeling where each other is at. So when when you've really honed that for years of playing together, it's a very, very, very special thing. Yeah, that's very magic, isn't it? Yeah, magic. What about the songwriting itself? Was that predominantly you? Not, no, not, well, basically, I decided with this band that we were going to split everything completely five ways, that there would be no... Like, oh, I brought in this bass line, so that's my thing. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I've been I've been down that road and it doesn't work. <laughs> so um and I've, you know, had my song stolen out from under me and credited to things I didn't write and take things that I did, you know. So with this one, we very early on in the beginning, the beginning of it we we just we thought we would take fall songs that we wrote that we were really proud of. Uh, for me, for me, it was like L.A., you know, songs that had been kicked to the curb by the actual fall <laughs> and then hadn't been played for 30 years and bring them out into the open again and enjoy playing them. U.S. 80s, 90s, all that kind of thing. And but what happened early on is we were put in a room and, of course, we were firing on all cylinders. So the writing started happening together. And then we really hit on a recipe that worked, which is how this album was done. So on this album, we've got uh, three, three or four songs that were well three and a half songs that were fall songs that we're really proud of, and the rest is new. And the new works like this. The boys go up into the rehearsal room. Someone brings riffs and stuff in. They record a rehearsal session, and they send it down to me in London. Mm -hmm. And I just write my hooks and melodies and words on top, and then we get in the room and do it, and it works, which is instant. It's perfect. Yeah. Where do you do that? Do you do that from home? I sit in my living room in Shoreditch, uh, on my big squishy leather couch with my two dogs and my guitar in a beautiful ambient space looking at the sky and do it. That sounds dreamy. <laughs> I was going to ask, what, what does your life generally look like at the moment? What do you spend your days doing? Have you been just writing and concentrating on this or have you got other stuff going on? I know you have your radio show on BBC Six and that kind of thing. Well, that, that's, I, that, I was just sitting in for Guy Garvey, but yeah. I hope I'll be doing more because I so enjoy doing that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it must be so fun. It's just the most brilliant job ever. What's the brief? Do they just say, just oh. play music? Is that it? Well, it start the first one was they called me like the day before and said, We need you to fill in. Can you do that? And I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> never having done it before. So I just went into my record collection and picked all my favorite things that inspired me without really thinking and threw them in a pile and played them and talked about why. And it seemed to work. But then I got some feedback from the programmer that said, uh, It's edging a little bit on radio too because it's like a bit of Fleetwood Mac and stuff in there. They go, Could oh. you? No, they have their, they have their like really like, um, characters for each radio station you know yeah so because it's four they wanted more edge and punk and i'm like yeah i can do that i just you know didn't know what i had no brief so anyway the next time i went back i did a whole a whole different process and they started sending me hundreds of tracks each week by new artists that i hadn't heard and uh, so i would spend the whole week listening to stuff walking down the street with my headphones on on the bus and i'd be like oh who's this oh my god oh my god so i would mix in some of my old favorites with some of my new favorites and that's what happened but um yeah i loved it and uh it was just brilliant 
That's so great to have been sent a list of a kind of curated list of all the best new music from BBC Six. That's a dream. Well, I gave them I gave them a brief as to what kinds of things I liked. Yeah. You know, there's certain things, you know, I've got quite distinctive tastes, but you know, if it's good and it cuts through, it's good. Yeah, exactly. That's the only way. Um so my days, what do they look like? Well, uh, obviously like about 3 or 4 how many years ago I started writing my book. Yeah. And I and my life really changed because that took two full years of writing every single day, like six hours a day. But while I wrote the book, it was the it was the process of writing the book that opened up music again to yeah, me. Yeah, I bet. Because I had been, I'd had a bit of a breakdown. No, I hadn't had a bit. I had had a breakdown. And I had completely shut down music. And I was not able to sing, write, or play. I didn't touch a guitar for 15 years. That that's why I haven't made music for so long, mm. because I thought it was over for me, and I was busy doing the book and fashion and TV, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm never going to go back. And then, but writing the book opened the creative channel somehow, you know, but yeah. the freedom and all of a sudden, and weirdly, uh, right around the time of writing the book, and that was happening, three people that were really important in my life said to me randomly and out of nowhere, like within a week you should really pick up your guitar again and play. And one of them was my husband. One was Andrew Weatherall. Mm -hmm. And the other was Craig Leon. And I thought, God, it must be a sign. So I picked up the guitar and it was like there was a bag of songs waiting in the ether above my head. Oh, wow. Ready to download. And I picked up the guitar. And for the first two months, I never told anyone, not my husband. And it was just me and the dogs in in my bedroom. (sighs) And I was playing. And yes, I was rusty because I hadn't played for so long. But what came out was completely different than than anything from my adult days or the fall days, what came out and I would play and weep and play and weep and it was some weird cathartic thing. But but this voice that came out of me was now a woman that had like lived and loved and grown and hurt and a voice of like complete honesty and vulnerability. Um and I had it back. My mojo was back. That's and then so fascinating. That's what happened. And then the extricated happened from around the same time. Like it all snowballed and it was completely out of it was just in control of the universe. <laughs> and now here we are. So this is almost a result of you kind of rediscovering who you were through the the process of, of writing that book. Completely. And, yeah. The and book it, saved me. Yeah. But it, I can't imagine the experience of trying to, to go back through your life and working through some really hard things that you probably don't want to revisit and then having to put them on paper and share them with the world. That's going to do something to anyone, isn't it? It's going to yeah, I mean, kind of push feelings out that you didn't even know were there. And Yeah. For the most part, um, the process of writing the book was a huge enjoyment to me because I was I was using my brain in a creative way and I was painting with words. Mm. And not only was I painting with words, but I wanted to convey the emotions that I had felt clearly and honestly so that p- people felt them as they were reading. And that that's a real skill. It's a skill I didn't know I really had. Yeah, I'd written songs, but to write a whole book is like a monumental task. However, and, mo- and most of it, I felt high after I'd write all day. Yeah. I felt so great. But there were chapters in the book and chapters in my life that were so painful, um, you know, that it was uh, – uh, I had to go to therapy. <laughs> I, ha- I had to, like, call a counselor at a certain point because you're so you, – because you're putting these emotions out on paper, you're feeling them again. Yeah. And there was a certain um, – you know, there was um, a- an incident in my past where um, I was raped, actually – when I was 19 and um, I'd never told anybody and never, not even my parents, I'd never told anyone. And writing the book, I decided that I was going to talk about it because uh, 
eventually it did kind of fuck me up, you know. Uh, but I, I mean, I, but, uh, the process of how I got through it and everything, I just felt that it was important to put that in there because yeah. it's happened to so many people. And I, anyway, uh, so that was a pretty tough thing, having to like come clean to my husband and my parents and stuff. <laughs> and actually having to write that down and put that on paper is almost just kind of solidifying it in, it's just putting it down and putting it out there. It must be just like a kind of extraordinary feeling and knowing that people are going to react to that. And as you say, it, it has sadly happened to a lot of people and they're going to get something from it and knowing that, I mean, have you had good response from people writing to you about it, the book and that kind of thing? Yeah, amazing because the the book is about, I think maybe we better take them out because the heavy breathing is beginning to distract yeah. me and add a sense of humour that probably doesn't need to be. Yeah. So we're, we're back now and um, unfortunately the dogs have to be taken away because yeah. their, their snoring and grunting was getting in the way of the podcast. But here we are again, and you'll be seeing the dogs all the time soon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what was I saying? What were we saying? We were like... Uh, the, the response from, oh, from the book. Yeah, so basically the book is a, you know, everybody's life has ups and downs, and, you know, certainly creative people have very dark periods. And, um, you know, through through my life, I've learned how to get through these dark periods, and I have a sort of a process to do it. And I thought that by writing about everything that happened to me in the most honest way, perhaps it could give inspiration to other people that have been that are going through or have been through, you know, serious ups and downs, no matter what they do in their life. And we're all human and we're all more the same than we are different. So I people have just it's resonated with so many people on so many levels and all sexes and all ages. And they they. You know, and that that means the world to me that, um, you know, I've given, you know, they feel better after they've read it and uh, maybe have like a golden rope, a golden thread of a process to help pull them up through the darkest times. Yeah, I think the book does do that. Anyone who anyone who's listening who hasn't read uh, Brooks's book, The Rise of Fall and the Rise, please do get your hands on a copy. Um, and I suppose now we should probably start talking about the music that you've brought here today. I asked you to um, pick out some records from the shop floor, which you have a fantastic selection. Um, I wasn't really sure what you'd pick, but I'm really pleased that you picked what you have. Really? So, yeah. Oh, it's just was so it was so hard. How do you walk through the store and pick things? Like, you know, I, I mean, do you just go for the pretty cover that you never, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's like part of my process. But then I tried to pick things that had, that really either have resonated with me in the past or things that are inspiring to yes. me. And actually, I did pick one thing I haven't heard yet, so. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um. Uh, the first thing here is Sif Jan Stevens, Illinois, um, and or Illinois, and uh, I, you know, I don't know all that much about him, but there's a song on it called John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. um, and I, I grew up in Chicago partially, and John Wayne Gacy was a mass murderer in um, in the Chicago area. Wow, what did he do? He dressed as a clown. This is so <gasps> creepy, and no. it tortured my teenage and child years of like. Um, I used to work, you know, I, he would like freaked me out. Anyway, he was like this middle-aged man, married, who dressed as a clown and would go to shopping centers and work as a clown and pick up teenage and young men, bring them back to his house. I can't remember where it was. Someone like some suburb of Chicago, 
rape them, kill them, and bury them under the floorboards where they lay, unbeknownst to his wife. Anyway, they... What? I know, it's horrific. It's one of those horrific things. So, so if John Stevens wrote this song called John Wayne Gacy, I'm like, oh my God, how can anyone write... And I, Because obviously he must have been affected by yeah. the story too, because I think he's from there. And then, or maybe not, I don't know, but... Um, but the song is so exquisitely beautiful and tells the story so beautifully um, of something so dark. And I just love that juxtaposition. I find it haunting. I find it so disturbing, the song. And I it, it just brings back all the memories. Like, it really tells the story of uh, what was in the papers. And stuff. I suppose it's quite, an, quite a crazy thing to do as well, to try and um, put into song and put beauty into something that is just so horrible and affected so many people. It's kind of ballsy, isn't it, to, to well, kind of... Well, I mean, that's really reframing it, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of like... Uh, that's really reframing it, and I, I think it's an art form, and it's, it's a fantastic thing. Yeah. Also, like, um, you know, I, I didn't pull this out, but I could have. You know the uh, Nine Inch... You know Trent Reznor wrote, like, Hurt, and Johnny Cash mm. did a cover version of it. So I think if, like, you, if, you, if you said to me, what is your absolute... N- n- best song you've ever heard best version whatever it would be johnny cash's version of hurt because the that again is the same thing it's, yeah you know it's pain it's and- pain and my god you know every time i hear that i want to weep but it's also absolutely beautiful yeah it's an, it's extraordinary isn't it i sometimes feel annoyed when i hear it playing in bars oh and no stuff. that's I'm sacrilegious like, <laughs> it's just because that song should be saved for moments in your life when you need that song and you listen to it in headphones on your own and if you just play it in a shop or whatever it's just like no this is private music stop yeah yeah it's, it's on a lot yeah that's wrong anyway uh would you like to introduce the song and then we'll, we'll put it in uh, so this is Sif Jan Stevens, John Wayne Gacy. a drinker and his mother cried in bed folding John Wayne's t-shirts when the swing set hit his head the neighbors they adored him for his humor and his conversation Look underneath the house there Find the few living things Riding fast in their sleep All the dead Twenty-seven people Even more They were boys with their cars Summer jobs Oh my God Behavior in a dark room on the bed. 
10,000 people With a slight of his hand Running far, running fast to the death He took off all their clothes for them He put a cloth on their lips Quiet hands, quiet kiss on the moon That was Sif Jan Stevens with his song, John Wayne Gacy. You are very good at radio. I know you've had experience before, but you're a natural. <laughs> I, I love the radio. It's so nice. We don't even have to wear makeup. We're, actually, me and Liv are naked in this room, and we're dancing around, and I'm just about to put, like, um, fuchsia war paint on her face, and we're going to start screaming in a minute, and, like, yeah. It's completely true. Um, yeah, radio is, is very special indeed. I'd like to keep doing it for as long as possible. You're not, not just for the makeup thing, but you can just do it for as long as you as you want, and... It can be a very long and rewarding profession. Well, you're not too bad at it yourself. Hey, thanks. <laughs> what have we got next? Um, so this is this is Max Richter sleep, um, and it's it's how long is this? Eight hours, I believe. Eight hours of the most gorgeous music. Um, that I I heard this first from my trainer, weirdly. Really? Yeah. And she's like, this is incredible because I have real trouble sleeping. Um, and um, for a long time, I was dependent on sleeping pills because being on tour, you know, you're like in a different hotel room every night. You're in, like, you know, wired up after a show and, you know, light still flashing in your head. And it's really hard in your in these hotel rooms are noisy. And I used to have this thing where I'd have to put on CNN because it was mm. the only constant thing of like the soporific voice of the broadcaster. And so I did get an like a dependency on sleeping pills. So I'm always looking for meditative music to sleep to with my uh-huh. headphones on to blo- uh, a block out the noise and b let my brain because I believe also that when you sleep. Well, this is kind of controversial, but I actually believe this. When you sleep, you all the resistance goes out of you and you, of course, wash your subconscious and unconscious laundry and churn through the emotions and the events and you, your psyche makes sense of things going on in your life on one Freudian level. But on a spiritual level, I actually believe that the resistance goes down when you're sleeping and you're able to absorb information from the collective unconscious yeah i.e being channeled to through non-physical energy does that make sense it does so for me sleeping is very important i listen a lot to um self-hypnosis sleeping stuff uh white noise rainstorms anything that lets my brain 
you know, and I think, and also for me as a writer, I am the most creative first thing in the morning. And that is because, um, I'm unblocked when I wake up because yeah. I've been like, I believe traveling around doing a million different things, <laughs> but, um, it's just all been like magical and spiritual. And I wake up and that's when I wrote the book was first thing in the morning, bam, just get into it. Don't look at the computer or that's when I write all my music. Um, so sleeping is important and this is an extraordinary album. So this is Max Richter Sleep.
That was Sleep, The Gorgeous Sleep by Max Richter. Fantastic. I assume uh, John would have had to edit that if we can't play the whole eight hours. But if anyone listening does want to listen to the whole eight hours, it is extraordinary. And he did um, the event a few weeks ago, did you see, in the Barbican, the sleepover. No. I can't believe you missed it. No, I, I didn't I, know I, about I didn't it. get tickets, but basically he invited loads of people. Max invited people to the, the Barbican who lay down, as far as I know, with sleeping bags and whatever. And he did a live performance of sleep and everyone was, was meant to sleep through it. And it was supposed to be... I mean, I think a lot of people probably would have stayed for the awake whole for night. It, but you're, you're, he was like, "I want you to fall asleep." How many hours? Did Eight you hours overnight. I cannot believe I did not know about it. I, I, I think he might do it again. I oh hope well, he will. I mean, I need to immediately get tickets for that. Yeah, I did. I have done this one thing though, talking about laying on a sleeping bag, called a sound bath. Have you ever heard of this? No. What's that? It's it's kind of it's really interesting. It's um kind of a spiritual thing like you go into this room and it's nighttime and there's candles and you lay down and you're all in sleeping bags and um a, a guy comes and the guy I know was called Ian Dale and he has like hundreds of Tibetan bowls and gongs mm. of all different size and basically he goes around and bathes you in sound and it's also extraordinary and they say that the um vibration of the sound you know, blasts out any negative vibration in you and just kind of cleans all of your sort of uh, whatever chakras and things. And it's just it's just kind of an incredible experience. So if a gong bath or a sound bath, if anyone has a chance to do that, that's also really interesting. You you, you come out and you, you're like on another planet. Do you fall asleep during? Uh, you kind of go into a trance. I don't think I fall asleep, but it's weird. You almost begin to hallucinate. Wow. Yeah. It sounds really, amazing. Really, really. <laughs> I've done about three. I, I would I would do it every weekend if I could. That's so cool <laughs> how sound is so much a part of your life, apart from just, you know, being in bands and listening to music and being part of the music world, but also kind of using it as a as a way of healing and totally while you sleep. But and it's all about vibration. So the final word in my book is vibration. And that was not for no reason. Because vibration is everything. We are just vibrating molecules. You know, we are all the same. We are, and it's the, and, and, you know, it's the dance that happens between the particles that are vibrating. So when you see color, it's a vibration. Everything's vibration. Yeah. And I, I was born with this thing called synesthesia, which is, uh-huh. um, uh, a weird thing where there's like, a, there's like kind of synapses in your brain that are left open when they should be closed. So for me, every time I see a color, Every color, any color, I hear a sound. So every wow. co- every color makes a sound. That, 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 this, that. And and then I can flip it the other way so that when I close my eyes and hear sound, I see a color. Wow. Some people have it with taste. I mean, it's a weird thing. I know. I read a bit about synesthesia. It's really fascinating. But that not that annoying, seeing, hearing sound all the time? <laughs> N- no, because you you can tune in and tune out of it. Like, you're not, uh, I mean, you're not bombarded all the time by oh, okay. it. But sometimes if something is a really unpleasant color or if, if, actually, I mean, that's why I was a really good stylist, because I can look at people and put them in the right color for their vibration. It's a weird wow. thing. It's a, But sometimes if people are wearing the wrong color for them or... There's a, a very like, a, you know, if it's a really noxious color, it it, it is most irritating. It's, if you went to, for <laughs> instance, the, the Hockney show at the at the Tate Britain, yeah, and you see those exquisite colors, does that sound good? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. I mean, mo- I, if people always say to me, "Can you just describe?" Like once I went to a shrink and he said, "Okay, what color is the sound? Is the wall making in the room?" And I said, "Well, it's making a shimmering sound." And then I realized that. 
most of the sounds I hear are not necessarily notes, but more per- percussive shimmerings of different wow. different depths and and uh, pitches, but not a, not always a pure note. Although uh, some some colors make notes, you know, wow. it's hard to describe, but it's mostly versions of like you if you think if you think like I said maybe a gong maybe that's why I love a gong bath so much because it's all different shimmering sounds which is yeah feels really natural to me so it's it's more percussive but there you can pull notes out of it such a cool superpower I'm yeah it's, it is good it's a superpower <laughs> I never thought of it like that <laughs> I think I could maybe teach you to have that I'd love it I think maybe we <laughs> could just sit down and I can just get we can we can practice and see what happens just okay. about opening yourself up maybe we all have this maybe we all do but yeah you do seem like you're in touch with your more spiritual and um and I don't know not maybe not what spiritual is I know it's, it's weird that it sounds that sounds so granola in California yeah, it's not quite I, right isn't that I'm just open you know yeah open uh, and understanding oh and, yeah and 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 uh not blocked off from anything, any possibilities, you know. Yeah. I don't see why you should be. How the hell do we know? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's the best way to be. Yeah. So what have we got next? Oh, well, uh, duh, The Clash, <laughs> London Calling, Guns of Brixton. I wouldn't be bricks if it weren't for Guns of Brixton. So, um, yeah, this is a record that changed my life. We all know that. Or maybe we don't. Um yeah, I mean, I remember first seeing The Clash on TV when I was, like, a young teenager. Wow, and, um, what was that like? Uh, I was shocked because I was living in L.A. I was staying in the house with my father and my stepmother, Maggie, and there was a news program on about punk in England and how these punks were, like, you know, c- you know, causing all sorts of a furore and um, a, a sort of attacking society, and they showed all these punk bands like Sex Pistols and The Clash, and I... and. All of a sudden, my eyes went on stocks, and I'm like, what is this? This <laughs> feels good to me. And so I got The Clash, and I got into The Clash, and became actually, I would say, obsessed with this record to the point where, oh, here's the thing. I do have weird, I don't really have OCD, but I do have these obsessive, obsessive-compulsive moments with music and food. Really? Yeah, so... If I like a song or like an album, I will play it and play it and play it and play it. Like, I won't want to hear anything else. <laughs> I won't let anything else on and until I know every note of it and understand and have dissected it. And one one of the one of the bands I could never really dissect was The Fall, which is why I loved them so much. Wow. Even but they, they were like a Rorschach test of music for me. And uh, I remember listening to Slates, which was the first album of The Fall I had. It was an EP. And then I joined them after that. Weird. It was freaky. It's weird. Yeah. It's like manifested. But anyway, uh, and I remember listening to that and never hearing the same thing twice. Could never get to the, the could not plumb its depths. And I <laughs> absolutely was blown away. And London Calling was quite like that. Not not quite so extreme. But Guns of Brixton was, I was just that particular song. So much so that my friends began to call me Brixton. And I became Brixton. Um, all the way to when I joined the fall, and it was Mark Smith that said, "We can't have you be called Brixton. We're going to shorten it to Bricks." That's amazing. Go. So this is the Clash, London Calling, and the song is "Guns of Brixton."
was Guns of Brixton by The Clash. Incredible. Also, the other thing about Guns of Brixton is like my theme song. So when people know I'm coming into a club or something, they'll put it on. No way. Yeah, and (laughs) at my wedding... Okay, so Alan McGee and Liam Gallagher were the DJs at my wedding. What? Because they they were my <laughs> friends and they were there and they're like, great, we'll 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 just be the DJ. And so the first song at the after I was married, you know, when the bride and groom come out and dance was Guns of Brixton. Oh, that's so so good. it's like my theme song, yeah. What a dream duo to DJ your wedding. <laughs> it was unexpected. I never even thought of a DJ before. I was so busy worrying about the cake and the flowers and the dress. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you have a band playing at your wedding? No, just Alan just and Liam. Them. Yeah, but and we it was in the middle of a, it was in a field uh, in Italy uh, that was attached to a castle. Wow! And they they built like a dance floor out of wood. Um, yeah, it was so cool. So there was no band. Weirdly, remember I wasn't playing music then. Yeah, it was my time of like being broken. So um, you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. Now, but, of course, if I did it again, I'd get up and play in my <laughs> wedding dress. Thank you. That would be cool. Of course. Maybe we need to re- reenact it. You could always renew your vows or something later on and mm. uh, sort it all out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. What do we have next? Oh, well, OK. So this is going to be unexpected, probably. But uh, <laughs> this is my inspiration record. And I put this on before I write. Really? Yeah, and before I go into, when I'm doing my solo stuff, because I'm doing Bricks and the Extricated, but I've also recorded a solo album too, because when it came back to me, it came back tenfold. So actually the solo album I wrote first um, while I was writing the book. And this was my, before I'd go in the studio, every day this is what I'd listen to on the tube to get there. And it's NWA, Straight Outta Compton. 
because uh, there's okay i mean i don't even know where to start with it but so inspirational and the rapping is so good and the rhythm of it um and, and the 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 loops of the drum i mean it's just and, and just love it and the attitude and the passion and uh the intention with what they're saying stuff. I cannot sit in my chair when I hear this. You know, I'm yeah. rocking back and forth. I'm swaying like a bewitched heathen. It's brilliant and it inspires me. It, it is just like being slapped in the face with yeah. power, isn't it? Like, it. bam. I yeah. absolutely love it. Incredible. It's a genius record. Genius. Is there one on song in particular that you would play before you well, would write? I don't know. They're all good, but straight out of Compton would do. Okay. You yeah. can choose that if you like. So this is NWA, straight out of Compton. When something happens in South Central Los Angeles, nothing happens. It's just another nigga dead, 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 dead. Straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. From the gang called Niggas with Attitudes. When I'm called off, I got a sword off. Squeeze the trigger and bodies are hauled off. You too, boy, if you fuck with me. The police are gonna have to come and get me off your ass. That's how I'm going out. For the punk motherfuckers that's showing out. Niggas fuck the marble. Mix a man, cook him in a pot like gumbo Going off on the motherfucker like that With a cat, that's pointed at your ass So give it up smooth Ain't no telling when I'm down for a jack move Here's a murder rap to keep ya dancing With a crime record like Charles Manson AK-47 is a tool Don't make me act a motherfucking fool Me and you can go toe-to-toe, no mate I'm knocking niggas out the box you from straight out of Compton another crazy ass nigga when punks I smoke yo my rap gets bigger I'm a bad motherfucker and you know this but the pussy ass niggas won't show this but I don't give a fuck I'ma make my snaps if not from the records from jacking a crap it's like burglary the definition is jacking but when illegally armed it's called packing shoot a motherfucker in a minute I'll find a good piece of pussy and go offend it so if you had a show in the front row I'ma call you a bitch or a dirty ass hoe
hears his name and the boy's coming. Straight out of Compton, it's a brother that'll smother your mother and make your sister think I love her. Dangerous motherfucker raising hell. And if I ever get caught, I make bail. See, I don't give a fuck. That's the problem. I see a motherfucking cop, I don't dodge him. But I'm smart, lay low, free for a while. And when I see the punk pass, I smile. To me, it's kind of funny. The attitude show a nigga driving. But don't know where the fuck he going, just rolling. Looking for the one they call easy. But here's a flash. was straight out of Compton by NWA. I'm really glad you picked that. Are you? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and now for something Now for something equally good but less um less of an odd pick, I think. Yeah, this is a this is um kind of a no-brainer. I only picked this because well, there's about 10,000 reasons, but they, it was sitting right in the in the bin facing me. And I I realized that this this also was a record that really kicked it off for me because it's it's the Ramones um, and it's their first album and everything about this. Uh, I remember listening to this thinking, you know, most of it's three songs, but it's it's brilliant and hooky and powerful and genius. And they came and played at my school. Um, they came and played at your school. Yeah. And um, I, I saw them a bunch of times in Chicago. I think I've seen them more than any band else that I've ever seen. Yeah. I look at this. I think I wear ripped jeans, which I'm wearing today, because of them. Yeah. I think I wear a leather jacket, which I was wearing yesterday, because of them. <laughs> I had met there. I've met all of them before. I actually threw up on Joey Ramone's leg once. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that was in a bad story, which I won't. I'll, I'll leave it to the book. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to say it on the podcast why that happened and what happened. But anyway, um, you know, they this record gave me hope that I could do it. It was yeah. it was inspiring again and and it and it's just a genius record all the way through and I you could pick any song on it. I mean, I wouldn't know I don't even know what to pick, you know, Blitzkrieg Bop. Oh, it's a great one. I mean, they're all great. This is hard. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is what an album's meant to be, where every song's a winner, and it all just fades into each other. It's just one big clanging yeah. mess of amazing adrenaline and fun. I, and it just yeah, and to to see you know they taught me a lot. They yeah. taught me actually. So uh, yeah, let's do Blitzkrieg Bob.
That was, of course, Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. Incredible. We had Danny Fields in to do a podcast. Did you ever meet Danny Fields? He no. was their manager for a while. He photographed them a lot. And he was talking about when the Ramones weren't doing that well in the US and they came to the UK and everyone in the UK was just queuing up outside, like wanting them so much because it was this new breath of fresh air from America. And the, obviously the punk scene here was much more lively at that time. And uh, yeah, it was just absolutely fascinating. I could just listen to Ramones stories constantly, I think. Me too. For the rest of my life. Me too. And also, <laughs> I mean, the, the difference between American punk and British punk, you know, that's kind of interesting. And I don't know, the Ramones, they were just the greatest. Really? Yeah, they really were. I don't know. You kind of, and if you had a Ramones counterpart here, who would it be? Buzzcocks? Uh, yes, it's quite, quite melodic. A good shout. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it, they've spawned countless, like infinite bands. Infinite, but including me, and not, not even <laughs> bands. As you say, it's like fashion and yeah. an attitude Everything, and a way, yeah, exactly. or like an art and just a, a way of living. They spawned that. And their trainers yeah. and their t-shirts and the yes. way they looked in their skinny legs and oh, everything about them. Yeah, beautiful men, wonderful men. Oh, and the way Johnny put his guitar, like, I mean, for mm. years, I ruined my arms by having my guitar way too low, yeah. low slung on my crotch. Of course, it's not that easy to play that way. I mean, for him, he's got long arms and big fingers, and I'm yeah. only little. But, um, yeah. He's, he's incredibly long. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the, the longest, gangliest man I've ever seen in my life. I think Joey is ganglier. Oh, sorry, Was. Joey, Joey. Yeah, Joey, no, yeah. Johnny. No, Johnny, but he would like have his like guitar over his crotch and play, and it, it was just amazing. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. So, last, well, second to last one today. Well, I think this is the last one. But then at the end, we're going to play one of your songs. Oh, okay. So, second to last one is Thurston Moore, Rock and Roll Consciousness. And I have not heard this. I am gagging to hear this. Um, and just, I really adore Thurston Moore. I think he is such a lovely human being such a talented man such a wonderful musician a gift to musicians everywhere um this summer i had the pleasure of um going to cafe oto which is a cafe that he curates and um playing some songs there with them and reading from my book and being interviewed by him and um getting to see his band play um and I think, what are they called? The Thurston Moore Group? Yeah. The Thurston Moore Group. Um, and they, it was one of the greatest experiences ever. It was com pretty much experimental, I think. Yeah. They got up there and they just like let it come through them. And it was really extraordinary. And then I saw them again um, doing the Can Project um, just recently in the Barbican. And it was, it was so, it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen, you know? And it, it, it makes me actually weep with happiness that this stuff is going on. And I'm just so happy for Thurston and I just love him. So he is an absolute treasure. treasure. His passion seems to just like know no bounds. He just is passionate about so many things. And that kind of radiates off him, doesn't it? You know that about him. He's an enthusiast. Yeah. He, and he, he, and he's just completely unpretentious as well. Yeah. And just, 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 just great human. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I have heard this and it's amazing. Tell I think me which song. They're all great. No, but which shall we pick? You guide me because as soon as I get out of here, I'm getting this. So I really like Smoke of Dreams. Okay. So this is the Thurston Moore group, Smoke of Dreams.
That was Smoke of Dreams by Thurston Moore Group. Wow, I got to pick one. I never get to pick one. Well, <laughs> enjoy. I can't wait. Fantastic. I'm listen to this on the way home. We'll sort you out with a discount for that after this. Cool. Um, so we're going to finish on one of your new songs, which yep. is nice. It will give everyone a little bit of context to what you're about to release and kind of like a sneaky peek before the album comes out in September. 10th of September? 22nd. 22nd of September. Okay, cool. 
So I guess you could just pick any of the tracks that you would like to share with everyone. When is this podcast coming out? Uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. So. Okay, so I'm going to do the single that's released at the moment. Okay. Which is um, technically our first single, and it's called Damned for Eternity. Um, and you know, I think, I think you can really hear the Ramones influence in it. Ah. Yeah. So definitely hear the Stooges influence in it. Are you excited what everyone's going to think about the album? Uh, yeah, I am. I am excited. I, I'm really, we're, we're so happy with the album. Again, every track's great. We're just, we're, it was just, it was like magic after making music for all that time to make something like this. And I'm just really, we're all really into it. And I'm just, we can't wait. We're going on tour in September. We've got a couple dates over yeah, the summer. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. No, of, uh, November. End of the Road Festival. Yeah, we're going to do End of the Road Festival. And uh, we're going to do Kendall Calling. We're going to headline Tim, Tim Burgess's uh, Tim Peak stage on the Saturday night, the 29th. And then um, End of the Road is the 1st of September. And then I, we might be doing a couple support slots, but I can't confirm that yet. And then our tour starts in November. Sorry. So I know we're November 3rd, we're playing at Oslo in London. Right. The tickets are already on sale for that. And they're going to announce more dates soon. Um, and that's, yeah, to support the album, which is called Bricks and the Extricated Part 2. Fantastic. Well... Before I get you introduced, I'm going to say thank you and goodbye. You're always great to talk to. I love when you come in here with your dogs and you just wander around and you're such a great vibe in the shop. So it's lovely to have you in here. Um, and yeah, now you can introduce your, your final track, your track. Oh, well, this is Bricks in the Extricated with Damned for Eternity.
Trade Radio. The Amazons. The Amazons. Available in store and online at roughtrade.com. Junk food forever. Late nights together. Track it's a level. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do. So if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.